swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! And crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, thankfully it's over! have won the world championship welcome to benny and the bets podcast can you believe it here's your host terry cushman Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. We are back underway for 2020. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles, dropping the series two games to one. They are currently one game back from atop the American League East. News out of Fenway, Eduardo Rodriguez has been sidelined with a viral heart condition called myocarditis. He is set for an MRI next week and has no timetable for a possible return, but says he has no intentions of opting out of the 2020 season. Zach Godley has been called up uh, to the major league roster and is expected to pitch in long relief uh, for the Red Sox Met series. Dylan Covey has been optioned down to Pawtucket in the corresponding move. The Red Sox have also claimed left-handed pitcher Steven Gonsalves from the New York Mets off of waivers and have also claimed right-handed pitcher Robert Stock uh, from the Phillies and have immediately optioned him to Pawtucket. News from across the league. Astros ace Justin Verlander was erroneously reported to have been shut down for the remainder of the 2020 season. After the confusion was cleared up, he will only be shut down for two weeks. Verlander was coming off of a season opening uh, performance. Six full innings of only two-run ball. Corey Kluber of the Texas Rangers exited Sunday's game with shoulder tightness after the first inning. Ex-Red Sox setup man Daniel Bard made his first MLB appearance in seven years on Saturday with the Colorado Rockies and was credited with the win. And finally, six players on the Miami Marlins have tested positive for COVID-19 over the weekend and will remain in Philadelphia. No word on whether the outbreak is connected to their exhibition games in Atlanta, where both Braves catchers, Tyler Flowers and Travis Darnot, tested positive uh, only a couple days earlier. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to look up our uh, social media for the Benny and the Best podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and am joined tonight by Charlie Smith from Providence, Rhode Island. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. Excellent. All things considered. <laughs> all, all things considered. 
And uh, also joining us tonight from Saugus, Massachusetts, Al Nahigian. Al, how are you? Charlie, on baseball field for 12 hours, so it's nice to just kick back and talk some socks with you guys. Oh, nice, nice. Well, it's good to have you back, Al. So finally, the regular season is underway. I'm sure we've got some uh, plenty of thoughts, uh, you know, Mostly negative ones, you know, with a lackluster series. So getting into the first segment, studs and duds, formerly known as heroes and zeros. Been waiting a long time to just have a segment like this, you know, with the four-month delay of the season. But, Charlie, go ahead, lead us off. Who is your stud for the Baltimore Uh, Orioles series? So there, there were not too many highlights that were able to do it consistently. Uh, and that is sad in itself. So my hero, my, my stud is Christian Vasquez, who is one of the only players to have uh, successfully managed multiple hits in multiple games. Um, we saw a couple players do it um, in game one, uh, game Two, it was, uh, you know, again, just it was J.D. Martinez who got hits again. But he's like a sure bet. You know, J.D.'s going to do very well. Uh, but I went with Vasquez. Uh, Vasquez so far through three games. He didn't play um, in game two as they had uh, Blawicki in there. Um, Vasquez went four for seven, already has a bomb. Uh, yet to strike. I don't think he struck out yet either. So that was... Uh, that was also kind of nice to see too. So he's got really good plate vision right now, had a double too. So, uh, so far two games did well. Unfortunately, we're, we're we dropped the series, but, uh, that's my, that's my stud for the, for the series. Vasquez was pretty impressive. He went, uh, four for seven with a home run, two RBIs and was really, you know, one of the steadier guys in the middle to bottom part of the lineup, which is a place where you want stability and kind of picking up where he left off in, in 2019. So nice to see because some of us were probably wondering if we were going to get the borderline, you know, Mendoza line Vasquez, you know, in the 220 area. But seeing the ball well, like you said, Al, any thoughts on Vasquez? No, I mean, people should have had high hopes for Christian Vasquez after last year. I mean, he had his best offensive season in 2019. So it's no surprise that he's coming out and he's doing the same thing in 2020, albeit it's three games against the Orioles, but it's still a good sign of things to come. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead with your stud for the Orioles series, Al. All right, so for my stud, it is the one starting pitcher that could actually last more than five innings and actually got the Red Sox a win. And this guy I've been compared to looks-wise. It's Nathan Ivaldi. Ivaldi threw six innings, gave up five hits, had four strikeouts, one earned run, one walk. That's just what you need out of Nathan Ivaldi right now. I mean, I know it kind of sounds bad to say it, but he is the ace of your staff right now. He does have ace type of stuff. He just needs to stay healthy, and that's a concern we all have. But it's good to see Ivaldi throw the ball well and get the Red Sox their opening night win, even though the next two nights weren't great. But still, Ivaldi, stud for the series. You're much better looking than uh, Nathan Avaldi, Al. Uh, that's not saying much, but thank you. <laughs> I uh, was also impressed with him. He's looked good in both versions of spring training. 
you know, throwing the ball really well and, you know, kind of lived up to expectations in that first start. So it was nice to see and got the season started off on a nice note and hard to uh, not like anything. Charlie, uh, what were your observations on Evaldi? Uh, it was, you know, Al and I, we had, we had talked about a, a bottle of wine over, you know, the Red Sox season about how many wins they were going to get. And, and sadly now it's, it's, I don't want the bottle of wine. Like, I don't want to be right about any of this, but like, it's just what's happened. And Avaldi is, is a great pick. What I love about Avaldi uh, is for, I would never buy him a bottle of wine. So Alan, you have, you have the edge there. Um, I'll say I'll say this much: uh, the fact that he was able to give us six innings, like Al said, it hurts to say that he is our ace right now, considering he was number four or five last year. So it's uh, it's tough, but he came out, he did his job. I have nothing bad to say about him. Uh, he's halfway on his total wins from all of last year. He only had two, so if he gets one more, he's matched 2018, and he's playing a fraction of the season. So. Uh, I, I can't say anything bad. I'll, I'll shut my mouth. Charlie, yeah. you want that bottle of wine? Don't even lie. Oh, maybe a little bit. Okay, there we go. Now we're telling the truth. And, you know, Charlie kind of basically touched on it, though. He never looked this good really at any point in 2019. And there certainly wasn't this level of confidence. Like, you know, he looked so good in those spring training starts that – there was confidence coming into this start and and he came through so yeah is could Evaldi be a trade candidate as well do you think approaching either the August 31st deadline or potentially this offseason because suddenly two years remaining on his deal doesn't look that bad no, and I'm going to say two reasons why. One is because of the arm issues in the past and just his body issues in the past, obviously being injured. And two, is a team that, that that's going to be that desperate really going to want to go out and potentially spend $17 million a year on him? Now, if a team can get him for half that, that's a different story. But if you're going to pay for three quarters in the whole thing, no, I don't think he's a trade candidate at all. Charlie? Um, yeah, given the dice, the, the David Price, I said dice, David Price effect of paying half the salary, I think you'd be stupid to not do it for half. If you end up being desperate and you can offload that entire contract, it really depends on how he does. Because if he does very good in this baby season, I'm sure there's going to be a team that says, yeah, sure, we'll take the last two years off your hands. I mean, I don't really care what we get in, in return because the Red Sox need to hit reset, and it's it's tough with a contract. You still got a lot of money owed to that man and a lot of money owed to another pitcher in the starting rotation that probably won't be pitching until 2021 later in the season if we even see him. So uh, at that point, if he's a tradable player, Red Sox have completely gone all in on bust mode and are trying to get the number one pick in the draft. It could go either way in my mind, you know, but when you do look forward to next year, you know, playing devil's advocate on my own question, we might need bodies in the lineup, you know, more viable ones. So it's tough to tell what Bloom is thinking, but I'll have some thoughts on this in the general segment after anyway. Uh, My hero for the series is Al's favorite player, Jackie Bradley Jr., Went seven. God, I hate you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't like myself either some days, but he went 7 for 11 <laughs> in, in the series and had multiple hits in literally all three games, knocked in a couple of runs. The opening day starter, Tommy Malone, I believe is a lefty, and so you know he wouldn't be a guy that you would think Bradley would you know thump around, but maybe he was just so bad that you know anybody could thump him around because only a couple of players didn't record hits but uh, you know Bradley definitely my stud for the series and I'm not a Bradley guy just like Al isn't but just showing that I will be impartial I even think David Price was my stud a couple of times last year that's how that's how fair-minded I am you know, when I have to be, not because I want to be, when I have to be. So I'm giving it, I'm giving it to Bradley, uh, you know, for this series. Al, go ahead. I mean, as much as I want to trash the guy, you can't trash seven for 10. And especially some of those being extra base hits, you just can't do it. I mean, if you're hitting 700 in any series, you deserve to be called a stud. So just like you, Terry, I give credit where credit's due. So give the tip of the cap to Jackie Bradley Jr. for a hell of a weekend. Charlie? Yeah, I, I mean, never in a million years did I think Jackie Bradley was going to go 7 for uh, just just south of that. I think he's going 7 for 11. Uh, but he's still the best hitter in the lineup, which is, it actually hurts to say. It's like, Jackie Bradley is your is your best hitter. Like saying Nate Nivaldi is your best pitcher. That hurts to say and think about. Last year, Jackie Bradley didn't register hit number 7 until game number... 12 or 11 and he's already there through three he then proceeded to go 0 for 9 in the next four games and then one for his next 11 the guy is incredibly streaky i hope that he can ride this out for as long as he can it then begs the question is jackie bradley a tradable player the answer is absolutely if you can get something really nice in, in return for that um but yeah he's been doing great so far three games small sample size and it is baltimore but you know what? He's still doing what he's known for, which is the glove. And now he's adding offense. So I cannot say anything bad about him. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think he'll command a huge haul being, you know, essentially a rental player. And, you know, I think there's still some skepticism whether or not the postseason will happen. So that that leads me to believe you're not going to see a massive trade unless it's a, it's with a player that's controllable for multiple years but um but he could certainly you know be peddled for a top 15 top 20 prospect and an example I like to use is we got Josh Taylor in the Devin Marrero trade so maybe Bloom can kind of work some magic in that regard and you know get a nice under the radar piece and you know so that remains to be seen and there has been interest across the league uh, for Bradley in previous uh, off seasons so um, there could very well be if this you know momentum holds up some honorable mentions uh, for this series uh, now that we've gone through our studs JD Martinez was five for 13 knocked in three runs Bogarts was two for 10, but did also drive in three runs. Kevin Pillar continued to be impressive. He, he looked good in the exhibition games, but was four for eight with a home run and uh, four ribbies. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Zue Lin had, 
you know, a couple of nice at-bats, one in a pinch hit situation, and then Mitch Moreland, one for four with a dinger. So um, so there, there was some offense. A lot of this did come from the uh, season opener in which 13 runs were scored. But nonetheless, you know, decent start for a few of these guys. Let's get into the duds, and we could spend a little longer on this part. So uh, go ahead, Charlie. Who was your dud uh, for the series? This, oh, God, I'm sorry for cutting you off. I, I, uh, this hurts because I'm, I'm all about enjoying the moment where I get to see rookies hit their first home runs and stuff like that. And I think I saw Benintendi hit his first home run in Baltimore, ironically enough. It was to right field, and it just barely made it over the wall. This guy is, like, allergic to getting on base. He just can't get – I mean, he gets a couple of walks. That's it. Game one, 0 for 4, scored a run, had an RBI, two walks. Okay, no hit. Let's see if we can do a little bit better. Did have a couple strikeouts. Game two, 0 for 5, two strikeouts. Game three, pinch hit, 0 for 1, strikeout. 0 for 10, five strikeouts, a run scored, an RBI, two walks. I'm sorry. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it for somebody in the leadoff spot. It's just – it's not – I, I I don't know. It's 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 constant regression that we've seen since year one two, and it's okay. Well, Tenny's got to work on on a couple of mechanics because from year one to year two we saw a massive jump. From year two to three, his average went up, but the numbers went down, and you saw the power kind of take a dip. Year three going to year four, everything went down except for the strikeout number. The only thing that that stayed consistent was doubles. It's just, it's sad. The kid's 26, and if he doesn't get it together soon, he's just kind of going to be like a like a Darren Lewis-type player from, like, the 90s, Troy O'Leary type, you know? Like, some guy's going to get 15 homers, 18 RBI, 80 RBIs, and, oh, cool, yeah, that's the guy that plays in the outfield. Nothing special. And that's, that's just not what I remembered thinking about Andrew Benintendi. Andrew Benintendi was the guy giving, uh, you know, Aaron Judge a run for his money for Rookie of the Year a couple years ago. And it's just insane to see how much he's fallen from grace. This might not be the best comparison, but it's it's a name that kind of haunts me. But, you know, could this be similar to an Alan Craig situation where he just um, completely loses it? You know, Alan Craig was fine for a while. And he when he was, in, when he was playing for uh, St. Louis, the guy was a stud. You know, late twenties, kind of a late bloomer, um, and then the whole the whole injury thing happened. He ended up getting injured in the World Series. Um, I think it was the World Series. Um, was it? I think it was like he had like a funny fall or something. He took like a a tumble. He hurt his knees, and then after that, just was not the same player. And um, I don't know if I can compare the two just yet because Tendy never got injured. So that that's the one difference, and and uh, you know Alan Craig was really good, age twenty six, I think twenty seven ish, and Benintendi right now is twenty six. So hopefully he can get it together because otherwise he's going to be worse than what Alan Craig was. You know, he's he's only had fifty career homers. Al, Alan Craig did a little bit more than that, but it's it's a it's a fair comparison at the present moment if it stays the way it does. Yeah, I mean. Craig had did have that injury and he was coming off of it, but eventually it, it had to be more mental than anything to me. And mm-hmm. that that could be an extreme scenario, but we're looking at a guy who has had some regression and it's just concerning because 
he was fast-tracked to the major leagues. He made his major league debut just over 12 months after he was drafted and thrived and was pretty good in 2017 and 18, like you said. So it's just, I mean, to be 0 for 10 in this series against a bad pitching staff, that's unbelievable to me. Al, what are your thoughts on Ben Attendee? I'm going to keep mine short and sweet and to the point. If you're going to be a leadoff guy, you can't go 0 for 10 with about four or five strikeouts. You got to put the ball in play and you got to be able to get on base and be that guy that sets the tone. And Ben Intendi's not doing that. So let's try to find somebody else, especially in the shortened season. You can't wait around. He was replaced today by Peraza. No word on whether that's going to be permanent or not. Some beat writers were questioning whether Verdugo should be put into that spot, which has been brought up on a couple recent podcasts. But if you consider Benintendi being 0 for 10, Peraza was 0 for 4 today. So you're 0 for 14 out of the leadoff spot. So this is a, this is a lineup that definitely has an identity crisis, I believe. Al, who are your, who is your dud with a S at the end of that in parentheses? So, I talked about pitching for my stud. I have to talk about the pitching for the duds, and it is Martin Perez and it is Ryan Weber, two guys that I'm not saying they're going to be Cy Young candidates, but they should be able to take care of business against a very woeful Orioles team. And you have Peraza that went, or sorry, not Peraza. You have uh, Perez that went five innings and gave up, I think, six runs, if I remember that correctly. And then Ryan Weber couldn't even make it out of the fourth. So. If this Red Sox team wants any chance, I know these aren't the starters we pictured before the season started, but now that they're in the role that they're in, they have to be able to execute and they have to be able to go five innings, at least six innings, and try to keep it to two to three runs. You just can't have this the full you know, couple months of the season, plain and simple. You know, I'm, I'm a little more frustrated with Perez because he's been the longer tenured starting pitcher, you know, with Tons of major league experience. So he was a guy I, I thought should have been ready. He's, you know, he, he's experienced, like I just said. And just completely went out there and, and laid an egg. Got charged with, what was it, five earned runs. And, you know, and, and then you got Weber who, I mean, he wouldn't be on half of the major league rosters anyway. You know, he wouldn't be... You know, on the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Reds, you know, any team with a, you know, a nice rotation. And, but we've got no choice. We're just so thin that Weber, you know, was the basically the number three starter right now. And I think he needs an opener. I, I think it would be less pressure on him. And if you could put Colton Brewer or Joss. Osage, which we'll, I think, see tomorrow night in, in that role. That That's going to be what best suits him. I think we're going to have to get very aggressive with the opener situation with starts 3, 4, and 5 until at least we get Erod back or we get a move with a pitcher that can actually pitch via trade, waivers, whatever. Charlie, your thoughts? Um, Martin Perez was terrible. Weber was terrible. Weber, you know, like Al mentioned, didn't even get out of the fourth inning. Didn't even get a strikeout. Like, for, forget forget about 
the fact that he probably wouldn't even be on 27 of the teams, and he'd be a reliever, if that, on the other two. We are so desperate that he's starting game three for us. Like, the Red Sox are one and two against one of the worst teams in baseball. You cannot afford to give up seven runs in back-to-back games and expect your offense, which is also bleeding with the loss of one of your superstar players and the fact that some of them probably are, you know, not feeling it and you have one that's completely out of shape. It's just, you can't, you can't have this. They're, they're, I was never on board with Martin Perez. I, I, no, God, it, I'm, I'm starting to sound really negative and angry right now. But this is just, unfortunately, red flags and warning signs of what we're going to be expecting for a very sad 2020 season. The, the crazy thing to me also is we gave Perez a two-year deal. And he came out today, or excuse me, on Saturday, and basically did what he's known for. So it's tough to sell us on this guy when he's doing that. And I was kind of hoping, you know, maybe with Dave Bush coming in, maybe he's going to give these guys a new perspective, uh, you know, a a new program for them to focus on. And maybe that would turn some of these guys around. And and maybe it's unfair to kind of put that on him because the the spring training 2.0 was very short and abbreviated, only three weeks and, you know, there's been a lot of distractions because, you know, Erod's out and, and, you know, they're trying to focus on the virus protocols and whatnot. So it's just – but going getting back to Perez, he's just – he is who he is, and that's who he was on Saturday. Accurate. Charlie, go ahead. Yep. Oh, excuse me, Charlie went. So it is, I'm up. My dud for the series is Raphael Devers, who was uh, one for 13 this series. And that one hit did come today, and it did lead to him scoring a run in that sixth inning. But here's a guy who kind of came into camp a little bit heavy. And he's made a couple of errors like we're kind of accustomed to seeing him do early in the season. And I'm just, I'm a little frustrated by his lack of preparation coming in. And I hope this isn't going to turn into Pablo Sandoval 2.0, you know, in the coming years. And so I... (laughs) You know, does he need a babysitter in the in the off season to make sure he's training and staying fit and whatnot? Oh, Al, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go real quick. I don't know where the Pablo Sandoval comparison came up, but he, this guy is not going to turn to Pablo Sandoval. Does he deserve to be a dud this weekend? Absolutely. You go one for thirteen. Your swing doesn't look good. Fine, whatever. But he's going to be fine. I think in literally a week we're going to be talking about how he turned it around in the Mets series and potentially the next couple series after that. So I'm not worried about Devers, but does he deserve to be a dud this weekend? Yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know if – oh, man, it's it's dangerous to make that comparison already after just three games. I mean, I, I see. Like, I get it. You know, you're, you're upset. He's had two ugly throws. 
um, through three games, so not a real large sample size, and already he's up to two. So that's not fun. He struck out four times in the second game of the season. That's tough. When you strike out four times in the third spot in the lineup, that's not good. You're not doing your job. You are actually hurting your team even more. Because not only are you not doing your job, the leadoff spot is also not doing their job. So for cleanup, you may be batting first in the next inning or with two out already. And maybe if you're lucky, somebody at first. The team is already the team is already struggling. Uh, coming into the, the season, the way he did was not beneficial. It didn't help the team. Does he need a babysitter? He is a kid. Like maybe, maybe it wouldn't hurt to get somebody, you know, kind of like the Patriots had with, with Josh Gordon. Uh, to kind of keep him, you know, trending in the right direction. Devers is like, he's 23. Uh, So I hope he doesn't fall off the train, fall off the wagon. You know, he's not getting paid like a premier third baseman. I don't think it's money. I think it's just a kid being a kid. And he just, he needs to figure out, he needs to figure this out on his own. Uh, Ultimately, no one can figure this out for him. You know, no one can control his destiny. He has to be able to take that under his own wing. For me, I'm going to be worried, you know, about his conditioning. It's not a story yet, but I do have a habit of of getting on things early. And and there has been some some talk, you know, on social media. Yeah, he did come in a little bit heavy. And Ron Renicki was asked, is he concerned? And he goes, no, I'm not too concerned about it, but it's it's being noticed so i just we've been through that before and maybe sandoval is an extreme comparison but the the day that was announced sandoval's contract was announced i didn't really have a problem with it i thought well you know he he plays fine that way you know he's he's been a world series mvp and and you know so when i see a guy like devers that way it's going to be a concern to me and the performance reflects it on the field. This guy is not prepared. So I think he will turn it around, but it's still, it's still frustrating to see, you know, Poppy was heavy, but he, he showed up and granted he was the DH and maybe Devers eventually is going to be a full-time DH or maybe he slots over to first. I don't know, but I don't know. It's, it's going to be a topic, you know, that, that comes up here and there. Um, some dishonor, actually just one dishonorable mention, uh, Michael Chavis, 0 for 7. How, let's just talk about him real quick. How concerning is that? Because he's he hasn't been a guy yet, you know, unlike Devers, that has kind of sustained you know, momentum at, you know, at any point over the last year. Not a good start. You know, last year when he started off uh, in the bigs, this was someone that, you know, came out guns a blazing. The guy was on fire. And then when people kind of figured him out, it's, uh, it wasn't good. Like the strikeout numbers were high and things just weren't looking as good as they once could have been. And, I mean, opening day, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. There was a trend there. And, um, you know, he played today and 0 for 3, two more strikeouts. You you just, you can't have 
a bunch of, of players in the lineup that basically are phobic to getting on base or they strike out more than they do damage. And that's a bunch of, oddly enough, the Orioles have a guy like that. Chris Davis got this mega contract and now all of a sudden can't hit above 200, can't even hit above 100 this year. And he strikes out a ton, strikes out a ton. It's it's not a good look. He needs to figure it out sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I'm sort of on board with Charlie. I mean, it's a really bad start, and you would have thought he would have come out firing right out of the gate, especially after last year. A lot of people had questions about his swing, how long it is, can he catch up to major league p- pitching, et cetera, et cetera. But again, just like Devers, I'm going to say with this kid, give him a little bit of time. I mean, yeah, he had some at-bats last year, but let him get an actual, and I put this in air quotes, full season under his belt, and just let him let him get the ABs and see what happens. And then if he's still struggling, we can say, yeah, it's a legitimate concern, especially for the long term. But for now, I'm not going to stress too much about Michael Chavis. The problem here is, is that we don't really have a ton of depth in that position. You have Moreland, who's bound to go on the DL at any point with some type of an injury. I think Moreland's even the the oldest player on the team. So, I mean, you could call up Bobby Dahlbeck, but how comfortable are we with that? LOL. <laughs> it's. I mean, this season is this season is is tough. Um, it it doesn't seem to matter what what players you have, whether it be on the pitching staff or in this situation with Dahlbeck, like with hitting. I don't think they have any need to rush them. There's no need to rush them. Let them do what they need to do. If it takes a little bit longer, what are we are we fighting for a World Series spot? After game three of the 2020 season, this is the closest the Red Sox will be to first place. We're one game out. It is only downhill from here. You lost two out of three against the Orioles. This was a series you could not afford to lose. Yes, you won opening day. Great. You then blew... The next two games, giving up 14 runs. Sorry, not buying it. Yeah, it's it's not looking too great right now. Not looking great. All right, just and you're it. you're correct. Mitch Moreland is the oldest player on the Red Sox team at the age of 34. 34. And what month was he born? Uh, let's find out because he's actually tied with uh, Johnny Lucroy. So Mitch Moreland was. Born 9-6, September 6th, and Luke Roy was born June 13th. So, actually, Jonathan Luke Roy is the oldest player on the team. And, and they're both 1986? They haven't you had... got it, Captain. Okay. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is they're, they're the only two that were alive uh, when the 1986 World Series against the Mets took place, uh, but were obviously infants at the time. I was three, so obviously I got no memories of it, but... Um, but anyway, um, just a fun little tidbit there. It's kind of nice that they yeah. are the oldest because uh, it just means we are kind of young in other areas. But uh, just kind of getting into the general segment now with the team, I would love to be a fly on the wall in High and Bloom's office because I'm wondering one of two things. Is he actively on the phone right now with other teams exploring trades, trying to get, you know, somebody into the organization that could especially pitch? Might he be talking about, you know, an Aaron Sanchez type guy who currently isn't signed? Or is he completely 
unconcerned and has no intention of competing anyway because we're seeing guys like Steven Gonsalves, uh, Robert Stock, who I mentioned in the intro, guys who just have no prayer whatsoever of really helping this team in a meaningful way this year. So is he basically tanking to to get those draft picks? What do you guys think his mindset is? I think it's I think it's going toward the tanking option because obviously now that the Red Sox have played at least one game in 2020, the luxury taxes should be reset so the Red Sox can actually go out and spend money after the 2020 season in the offseason to get some actual pitching on the staff. And you know what? If you tank this year, it, it's a shortened season anyway. It's a weird season with COVID and everything. So you know what? If you have to take your lumps this year, take your lumps, replenish the farm system, and get yourself back on track for a good 2021. If not, at least be ready for 2022 and for the Red Sox to be contending again. Yeah, just what Al said. I completely agree with Al. Uh, I mean, this is a team that very well could have, you know, they scored 19 runs. They scored 19 runs, but it was a blowout in week or, or the first game of the season. They have the third most runs scored through three games in the American League. The Red Sox are not in any way, shape, or form, especially with the new GM, in a push to try to prove anything in a season where it was already lost by trading David Price. You lost Chris Sale for the season. You traded Mookie Betts away. We're not going to be buyers. We're going to be sellers. And this is this is no time to try to be a pretender. I think Heim Bloom is probably listening to offers for players. I don't think he's trying to buy anyone. I think he's listening to offers for JBJ, uh, Native Valdi, anybody else. I, I think anyone is available except for maybe Devers, uh, Dahlbeck, a couple other players in the minors. Everybody's available. The Red Sox are going to go in, into uh, a very weird, unique state where they're going to look like one of the worst teams in baseball, even though, you know, 19 runs through three games doesn't look too bad. You score 13 and one, and then you suck the next two. You're you're going to have inflated, made-up stats that make you look better than you are. I don't think Bloom has intentions of trading top prospects, though, because uh, I think his goal is to try to build the farm system. I think a lot of players on the Major League roster, many of the ones you mentioned, are um, you know, there for the taking if the right deal comes about. Another candidate could be a Brandon Workman type guy who would basically be a rental, but, you know, a solid back end guy, probably a seventh or eighth inning guy on most other teams. But, um, you know, I, I think the major league roster is where the trades are going to be, are, you know, are going to be focused on. But let me just say this. My hope, though, is that they are still going to try to creatively patchwork a plan together. I mean, that's what Bloom did with Tampa. How many times did we think they were a 70-something win team and were a borderline wildcard team and then got in? So that's my hope. Other side of the coin, uh, like Charlie sort of alluded to, Bloom came in and traded Mookie Betts. So he's already not everybody's favorite GM. Like, I understand what he's doing, and I was okay with the Betts trade, but, you know, there's a lot of people who weren't. And and then there's the casual fan that, you know, would never accept that anyway. So he's already kind of the bad guy, so to speak. So maybe he is fine with the tanking thing. I have no idea. 
you know, Andrew, you know, on the midweek show is a big prospect guy. You know, he's a guy who values draft picks. So, you know, staying under the the luxury tax threshold is is very important to him. I'm not so much worried about the draft picks because a lot of money is coming off the books at the end of the year. So we're going to have the spending flexibility to to bring in guys like a John Lester, like a Trevor Bauer type guy. I don't know if we're going to add any big bats to the lineup, but you know the flexibility is, is certainly there. You know, Martinez is the biggest contract that could potentially come off if he opts out, and it's widely expected that the DH will be back next year for the National League. So that's going to double his his market, basically. More teams will be in on him. Then you have some smaller deals. Jackie Bradley will free up about another $10 million. Uh, Kevin Pillar, I don't know how much he's making. I think it's around $5 million. Workman yeah, comes I think off. you're right. Yeah, Workman comes off. He's an arbitration three guy, so he's making at least a few million. Moreland comes off. So there's close to $40 million coming off. So even if the penalties don't get reset, the flexibility will be there to field a competitive team. And I don't think Bloom wants to go two years in a row with a non-competitive team, which would really be three overall because we didn't we didn't do anything last year. So... I just, part of me, like I said, hopes that they do find a way to to be competitive uh, this season. Let's hope. And and one other thing I didn't get into, and I don't think it had quite been, it wasn't announced as of the last show, but the playoff uh, has been expanded to 16 teams. So that's eight in each league. We certainly don't look like a top eight team, but we got to try, don't we? I mean, you should, because if you think about the teams realistically, you have the Yankees, you have the Rays, you have, I'm trying to think of the Central, you have the Indians, you have the Oakland Athletics out west, you have the Astros. After that, you could argue that the Red Sox could be, like, or let me rephrase that, should be at least like, in that seven or eight spot, like should be in those one of those final two or three spots. But the way the pitching's going, it looks like they're not even going to be close. Charlie, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 no no you no one wants to see their team tank. And and you brought up a great point. Like, yes, we're going to have forty fifty million dollars coming off the books, probably more than that, because if JD's gone, that's twenty million alone, like you mentioned. Evaldi, uh, if he gets moved, I mean that's going to be huge. We still didn't even talk about Dustin Pedroia's money. That's another twelve million that we don't know about. Um, well, curious to see what happens with some of the other players. Pilar's making just under five right now. He's going to be gone. Workman could. I, I hope he stays. You know, Tendy's going to be there again. You have a bunch of other players that are going to be back. If if Mitch Moreland opts to stay to stay in, give him another year. I, I don't know if that's a smart move. This season, this season is going to be tough either way, any way you look at it. At, at the end of the day, you don't want to see your team throw it, but they're not going to be throwing it intentionally. They're just going to be throwing it because they're just not that good. That's what it comes down to. 
What about Renicki? I mean, he's managing under the most unique set of circumstances that any Red Sox manager has ever had. Has he done anything to win you guys over? Because, I mean, we've been looking at some pretty goofy-looking lineups, and to his credit, he did take Benintendi out of the leadoff spot today, but I just... there, There's some... There's some aspects of his lineups that I'm not really thrilled with. I think it's too early to tell. I mean, we've played three games. He hasn't. He hasn't been the manager. He hasn't taken the helm for for the full the full four job in Boston as of yet. You can't you can't judge him on sixty games. It's just not. It wouldn't be right. I mean, as it was, I wasn't thrilled when they got rid of. I wasn't super happy about getting rid of Farrell, but I did like Cora coming back. Um, as as a manager, I, I think you have to give him another year, maybe two. Um, you you have to give him time, and sixty games isn't enough, especially when your entire team just got blown up, literally in every way, shape, and form, with injuries, trades, illnesses. Charlie, you took the words literally right out of my mouth, so I'm not even going to comment on that any further. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm just not sure he's guaranteed another season after this year. Probably not, but, you know, if he coaches for the shortened season and then, you know, then you get rid of him, then that's fine if you want to keep him. You know, he's respected by a lot of the players in the clubhouse, so either way, you can't really go wrong, honestly. And get, just give him a little more time. It's only been three games, like Charlie said, so let's see, let's see what he really can do, and then we can see whether he garners the opportunity to manage beyond the 2020 season. Al's just being nice because he wants to split the bottle of wine with me. No, you can have the whole thing, especially if you weren't it. You can have the whole dang thing. I just feel like I want to like him. I want to see some magic, and I think he's a great success story. Like, two or three years ago, he never would have been managing in a big market like this. So his his – ascension to the manager's position of the Boston Red Sox is just so unlikely. And I think everybody likes to see a guy like that succeed. There's still a good part of Red Sox nation that firmly believes Alex Cora will be back. I think there's less than a 10% chance that could happen. I'll never rule it out because I don't know if ownership is capable of forcing that on to bloom, but, but I just, I, I want to, I want to see some magic here, but I don't like, I don't like Martinez in the two hole. I, I think especially today he had Peraza leading off. Who's a righty. So Devers isn't hitting good enough to justify hitting out of the two hole, but if he was hitting good enough, you'd probably want him hitting in front of Martinez. And it's just tough to make sense out of this order. And Verdugo, where was he batting today? I think he was like seventh, I'm pretty sure. He's not a seven-hole hitter. (laughs) He's not a seven-hole hitter. You know, so it's just... I'm trying to, and then here's the other thing. Maybe this isn't Renicky's lineup. Maybe, maybe this is the nerds upstairs, you know, printing this off of a you know spreadsheet or something, saying this is 
this is the best lineup on paper or whatever. But I don't know. It, it's been a little frustrating. It's, I mean, here, here's the thing too, Ter. Um, Allery knows this. Like, this is going to be a very sad season. I, I honestly, you know, we, we've been hearing players go down. You know, you mentioned Verlander going down um, for, you know, erroneously. Originally, someone mentioned, someone leaked it saying it was the whole year. I still don't think he's going to pitch this season. If he does, he's going to come in towards the end. I don't think they're going to risk Justin Verlander uh, this season in, in a in a baby season. They're just not going to. He's, he's not going to be the last one to go down either. There's going to be players that miss two weeks of the season mandatorily. And if you're gone for two weeks, you've missed, what, two out of seven percentage. I think that's, what, 28% of the season, almost a third of the season if you go down with COVID. So all it takes is one Red Sox player to go down or two that are even remotely uh, necessary in the lineup. Like, you need them there. You lose, like, a JBJ right now. You're losing five of the next seven, ten of the next 14 minimum. You lose Evaldi in the starting rotation for whether it be a trade or an illness. It's going to be ugly. I mean, 23 wins, like I, I said with Al, 23 wins will seem like a blessing. If this is going to continue and it's going to be this bad, I know this is a Red Sox podcast. Get me to the Celtics if that's the case. Just get me to the Celtics playoffs if that's gonna be if this is gonna be what we I have to watch every single day. Like my God. Well, it just depends on what they do and who they call up. You know, the the twenty fifteen season got pretty interesting towards the end because, you know, they let the kids play and, you know, so maybe maybe we'll just get a, you know, glimpse of of that, you know, from from a developmental standpoint but i'm still looking forward to the met series this weekend so i guess we can get into that or this week i should say it's a home and home series so i think two at fenway and then two uh, in queens at city field so josh osich osich is going tomorrow in the opener role i don't know if we'll see some of uh godly in there but I'm a little more comforted that there's going to be an opener in there and it could potentially keep a team like the Mets off balance. Who is this guy that we're throwing? Like, seriously, that's what I think myself and everyone in Red Sox Nation is wondering. Who? Like, who is this guy? He came from the White Sox and uh, he's the opener. You know, that's... that's... You say that with a lot of conviction, Terry. You're really convincing me that this is going to be a guy that's going to help us, you know? Yeah. It's it's not great. Not great. It hurts. So, uh, Ostrich already pitched. He pitched in um, yesterday's game when they lost 7-2. He didn't start. He pitched an inning, gave up a hit, struck a guy out. So, good job. You did your job as a reliever. If if that's going to be like the new way of Red Sox baseball, whether it just be the season or the future until we like actually have, I don't know, starting rotation, good hitters, things like that. Like, I know I'm sounding super negative and that's terrible. I shouldn't do that. But um, maybe, I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays, when they started, everyone thought they were insane. They thought it was like, you're breaking baseball by having a reliever start the game. 
and it worked out for them. So maybe it could work out. Maybe maybe they end up getting, you know, they split the series by doing something wild like that. You don't need an opener for Ivaldi, but maybe you do for Martin Perez. Maybe you do for Ryan Weber or anybody else that's going to be starting for Boston. Maybe that just, you know, get a reliever in there to take care of the leadoff guy and your three-hole guy. And maybe you get lucky and you get the three and the cleanup hitter both out. And then you, you start off the second inning bat at, you know, pitching five, six, seven, eight, nine, one again. You're you're doing okay. Three, four innings of that, and maybe you do decent. Who knows? This could be the one bright side in the first week of baseball if you're a Red Sox fan. If the Red Sox can pounce on the Mets early and they're facing Michael Waka tomorrow, who is this, he's had like one or two good seasons with the Cardinals and then took a nosedive after that. If we can pounce on him and then keep them off balance with our bullpen, I could see a win in that game. I, I don't think it's that unrealistic. The, the Mets don't need any help from us, you know, for being a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this about the the Mets home and home series. Because you lost two out of three to the Orioles, you need to take, and I can't emphasize this enough, you need to take three out of four from the Mets. Whether you take both at Fenway and one at City Field or whatever, you know, you have to take three out of four because you got a tough series in New York against that other New York team that's not going to be as much of a dumpster fire as this Mets team seems to be. So. Game two, we have Matt Hall against TBD. Hall is expected to go four to five innings. Not sure what to expect there. You know, he he did a lot of uh, you know time in the minors last season. didn't didn't have terrible numbers uh, in Double A or Triple A, but um, you know it, it's tough to tell who who the Mets are going to trot out there. They don't have Syndergaard because he's on the IL. So uh, that's another situation where they're going to probably do some tinkering throughout the game. Those first two games are at home. Then on Wednesday, they go to Queens and Nathan Avoldi versus Jacob deGrom, who pitched, that a, hurts. pitched a very good uh, opening day start. Didn't get a lot of run support, but I think the team did come through uh, and, and got the win. But our best pitcher versus their best pitcher. And, and their here, best pitcher blows ours away. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. Is like honestly, it it would it would behoove it would be honest, it would just be better if you have Evaldi against Matt in game four. Yes, you push a start back a day and you figure it out. That's really honestly probably the only way you even split the series. Because you're probably going to lose one out of two at Fenway you're automatically going to lose against DeGrom and then you're praying to you're praying that you get a third it's just your best pitcher is facing one of the best pitchers in baseball you're what could be a four or five guy is facing one of the best pitchers in all of baseball and and like you mentioned DeGrom doesn't get a lot of uh support on offense that's not that's not a new thing for him that's that's been his his mo his first game of the season, he gave up one hit, struck out eight, walked a batter in five innings, and threw 72 pitches. 72 pitches for Ivaldi is four innings if you're lucky. If you're lucky, and there's probably a run, two runs in there, maybe four or five strikeouts, a couple of walks, 
Jacob deGrom is the definition of efficient. He's 32 years old. He knows what he's doing. He gets on the mound. He does his job. That's it. Two years ago, he went 10-9 and with a 1.7 ERA. That's stupid. That's dumb. And you're facing, you're facing the Red Sox lineup, depleted lineup. I wouldn't be shocked if DeGrom shuts out the Red Sox. He very well might. I guess he's going to be limited to 90 pitches, so I'd love to see the Red Sox lineup go in there and just kind of foul off some pitches, drive that pitch count up. It's hard to do against a guy like DeGrom, but if playoff Evaldi shows up, and, and that's what he's looked like so far, I wouldn't rule out anything. I really wouldn't. And, you know, if Devers can can step up and maybe Bogarts has a couple more hits, I, I don't know if Ben Benintendi's going to find himself, especially against DeGrom, but if, if a couple of these guys just have a better series, I, I think that'll lead to some more runs scored and maybe give us a chance. I, I don't know. And we haven't really had a chance to see the Mets bullpen yet, but they were putrid last year, so maybe we can do some damage late. I don't know. I it's weird. I, I'm having to be the optimist, but it's it's the first week of the season, so you know, I'm trying not to try not to mail it in just yet. Uh Thursday, last game of the series, Martin Perez versus Steven Matz. Both of these guys especially Perez, obviously, have you know a propensity to give up runs. Mats has uh, looked pretty good in one outing so far, gave up just one earned run, struck out seven. So, you know, who knows which version of Mats we're going to see. But he's been a back-end guy since, I think, their World Series year and just hasn't quite found it, you know, for – you know, more than one season in his career. Yeah, his so with Matt, when he came out, because he started five years ago, it was 2015, 2016, he had a good year uh, when he came into the league and everyone was super, super high on him. The following year, didn't get a lot of support. ERA went up, struck out a lot of guys. And then after that, he got injured. 2017, he got injured. The following two seasons, ERA was ugly, wasn't getting the run support. 16 and 21 between 2018 and 2019. This year, he's healthy. He got a lot more rest. If if we're seeing Jacob DeGrom 2.0 out of this kid, uh, we got problems. We have problems. And Martin Perez, I I, I don't know. Because you're, you're facing uh, Polar Bear uh, for four games. And uh, the Mets, I remember the Mets stadium was not a, a hitter-friendly park. And you've got a guy cracking 53, 54 home runs there. You know that he's going to toss the sauce at least once over the fence. At least once. I love the sauce. <laughs> you like that? That's one I just came up with on the fly. Toss the sauce. Okay. Damn, Charlie. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see. It's kind of a fun series to look forward to. It was tough to get amped up about Baltimore knowing that they were going to be so bad, even though we were so bad. But, um, you know, so we'll, we'll get to see. And if you're a baseball nerd like me, I mean – I, I love watching Jake DeGrom, so it, it'll be entertaining here and there, and I'm sure it'll it'll kind of garner a lot of national interest as well. Here's, here's one thing kind of at the back of my mind. In the intro, I mentioned the Marlins 
six of them went down with COVID. They happened to be on the road and they were in the road in the Atlanta exhibition games as well. I just feel like when, when the Red Sox aren't in their home park and they're going through airports and in Ubers, that's, you know, dangerous. So I just hope we get through the two games in Queens and then I think there's a three-game series in New York. You know, so that's that's a lot of time and I just hope we don't come back with multiple positive tests. You know what? Honestly, instead of flying to New York, they should be taking a bus. Buy a bus if they don't already have one. Clean that, clean that puppy out. Make it nice. You know, every player sits in one section. Just bring, you know, no no two to, two to one section. Maybe you do like little quarantine zones, little plastic it out, you know, something. Make it so that for any games that you're facing in New York, um, in Boston, like you don't have to worry about any issues or any positive tests. It doesn't make sense to fly to New York. It doesn't make sense to fly to a couple of the other states. Like even to Pennsylvania, if you've got to go down there, take the bus, dude. Take the bus. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit longer to get there. You know what? It's probably the healthier option because you're going to be coming into contact with how many thousands of people less? This is still an issue. So, I mean, they got to they, they gotta do something because Red Sox can't afford to get any more hits. This, I mean, we need more hits, but not the negative hits. I just kind of hope they get to the bottom of what might have happened with that Marlins team. You know, where did they likely get it? And, and maybe, you know, with that information or data, you know, they can kind of steer teams around, you know, certain danger zones and prevent some of these positive tests from happening. My, Miami right now is one of the hot zones. They're in the process of shutting that entire state down again because of the fact that we've done such great work. Everybody's quarantined. Everyone's staying at home. No one's going out. Everyone's staying in. And then they're opening up the beaches. People are throwing parties. The clubs are open. People are saying, oh, it's not as bad as you think. And then 50 people get sick. And now the beaches are getting shut down. I just got back from L.A. and they told me, yep, just so you know, Charlie, two weeks of quarantine. You can't go anywhere. All right. Yeah, thanks, bud. So L.A. and Miami, two of the worst places. It doesn't surprise me that Miami got tagged. It wouldn't surprise me if you hear a player from the Dodgers or the Angels getting COVID or four or five players from those prospective teams getting sick. It's just those are the hot spots right now. That's it. Yep, and you, of course you had Florida open up, like you said, Charlie, before pretty much any other state. It was just dumb on their part, and now look what's happening. And now it's putting sports back in danger. It's putting baseball back in danger. It's already put a lot of the Marlins in danger, so it's just it's a no-win situation. Agreed. Yep. Well, Mattingly said you know, he feels more comfortable in Miami, even though he, he did admit it was a hot spot, but uh, you know, apparently – you know, whatever their routines are, they're just comfortable within those routines. So, yeah, that that's going to be an interesting story to watch over the next 24 hours because apparently those six players are staying behind in Philadelphia. So, you know, do they stay there for two weeks? Like, I mean, I find it hard to believe they're going to be put on an airplane with other people and, you know, risk those people getting covid so it's it's a unique situation and uh, 
I just hope I just hope this season you know continues and and they get through it. They, they worked so hard to get here. We shall see. Absolutely. So I guess on that we can uh, wrap. Any final thoughts, real quick? Uh, let's hope oh, Al, it, it... after you, Charlie. No, no, please, I insist. All I was going to say was, hoping to God that this Mets home and home looks a little bit different than this Orioles series. Because if not, like I said, Celtics start on Friday, so I might have to turn my attention quickly to that. So I I was actually going to make the parallel that if you told me that 2020 was going to start off with a global pandemic, followed off by an incident that you know sparked the, the racism conversation followed by murder hornets, followed by five-foot bats, I would have told you you were out of your damn mind. And if you told me that after the third game of the season that started in July, that Daniel Bard would have as many wins as the Boston Red Sox through the first series, I would have told you you were just as equally out of your damn mind. Whoa. Mind blown. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I hope he turns into a stud, you know, and he's not going to be the high-octane guy like he was 10 years ago, but, um, you know, I want him to be a success story so bad. And I love that Rockies team. You know, they suck almost every year. They did make the playoffs two years ago, but they pack that stadium. Like, they love their baseball team, and I just think that's a great community for him to be a part of, and... I, I hope he's successful. I really do. You know, we, we talked about this, Terry, on, on the last show a week ago, and we, we both said about how we were excited for him to get another shot. It was a Cinderella story similar to um, that parallel that I made from uh, Jimmy Morris when he was a Tampa Bay Ray and he was a rookie at, like, age 38, 39 or whatever. It's kind of nice to see a story like that through all the BS that's already happened through 2020. you 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 got to be a little bit happy. You can't hate the guy. It wasn't his fault that everything happened. So I hope that he ends up having a great season this year. And and who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, I have no idea. But why not have a good season for him? I'm not going to wish ill on the kid. Yeah, I just I'm just curious as to what his future is. I mean, I don't think he should ever pitch in the Bronx you know, for the Yankees. I don't think that would be good for him. But you know, mm-hmm. may, maybe he goes to the Reds next season. Or, you know, maybe Tampa. I don't know what type of contracts he'll command. And it's probably way too early to be talking about that because who knows? He could lose his mind next week and, you know, fall into a rut and be a mess again. I hope I hope to God not, but he's just one of the more fascinating guys right now in Major League Baseball. And like I said, I, I want him to be successful. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right, guys. Good show. And uh, I think we're going to do some juggling with the lineups that we discussed earlier, you know, as far as who's on what show. So we'll get that. It'll be Jason and Andrew on Thursday. And then next week, the alignment of hosts will be a little different. But again, we'll be in touch. Hopefully, not venting, you know, about. You know, being 0 for 4 in the Mets series, whatever. 
you know, hopefully, hopefully we're entertained this week. So take care, guys. Take care. Thanks. Take care, guys. Episode 201 down the first episode of the in-season play in the books. Hope you all enjoyed it. I kind of felt a little scatterbrained, not going to lie. It's just kind of overwhelming the the things that I personally don't like about this team right now that I, I think could be smoothed out. But we'll see what Renicky does in the next four games with the Mets. Take care, everyone.